Welcome to episode 42 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today's episode is born first and foremost from many, many, many years of being confused as to why women are labeled more emotional than men. I just don't think that they are, and I don't even think that the average woman is more emotional than the average man if we take things like hormonal changes due to pregnancy, things like that, out of the equation. And of course, I'm not denying science. There are biological differences between men and women, and I don't want to deny or take away from that. But I think really beyond these biological factors and differences, human beings as human beings experience emotions, male and female. And I think that some of us experience more types of certain emotions than other people do. And some of us might have greater intensity of emotion or things like that on a daily basis than other people do. But I am just not convinced that women are more emotional or even that men are more emotional. I just think that human beings are emotional creatures that experience emotions in different and similar ways based on the individual, not necessarily always the sex or the gender. So why am I talking about emotions today? Because the way that women's and men's emotions are perceived actually feeds into patriarchy. And it feeds into these silly justifications for women being required to do certain jobs inside and outside the home. It feeds into this idea that women might somehow be disqualified from leading due to emotions or their emotional state. Sometimes this rationale is blatantly stated And sometimes it's really more implied or accepted as a belief that kind of underlies our main societal beliefs and ideas. So this episode today is going to be part one in probably a three or four part series on emotion as a gift from God and kind of looking into how perceived emotions really feed into patriarchy and gender differences and the idea that women can or cannot lead, that sort of thing. A lot of the ideas of this series are inspired by the work of Elena Aguilar, and she points out that suppressing emotions is a tool of the oppressor. So I want to talk about it, and I want to bring it back to the church, and I want to bring it back to women and spirituality and faith. So today, like I said, is part one of this big topic. It deserves, I think, a couple of episodes. And today we're really, we're going to take a glimpse at science briefly, and then we're going to look more into the history of things like the hysterical woman and microaggressions and consequences that it has for today. Before we dive in, a quick warning, I will be discussing the biology of women to some extent and also historical discrimination against them. You might or might not want little ears to hear that. So I just wanted to give you a quick warning ahead of time in case you're listening around children. All right, let's get started. Hey, Millennial, welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what He has to say through studying His words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Catherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's Word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at scripture beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate creator and hoping for some good old fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. 
I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. I think we can begin with a quick, quick, quick mention of an interesting article that I found. So this is us glimpsing science. And this is an article from Very Well Mind, and it was written by Sarah Fielding. And she is quoted as saying, quote, a recent study from scientific reports looks at sex and ovarian hormones influence on volatility, emotional inertia, and cyclicity. For 75 days, the team followed 142 men and women to observe their regular emotions. One group of the women were naturally cycling, while the other three groups of women took oral contraceptives. At the study's end, researchers found that male participants' emotions fluctuated as much as women's did. In addition, women taking oral contraceptives didn't have significantly different changes in their emotional range than the women naturally cycling. End quote. I find this really fascinating, and I know, I know, I know that it is just one study, but the reason it is fascinating to me is that it does kind of call into question this societal underlying belief that we tend to have. And I think that this belief is one that's it's collectively perpetuated by our culture. And the idea is that women are more emotional because they have periods. Again, I would never deny that hormones are real. <laughs> I myself have experienced PMS and I understand that it's real. I'm not trying to deny science, okay? But, but just because women have and experience menstruation, that doesn't mean that men do not also experience a wide array of emotions. In this case, they were looking over the course of 75 days. And maybe it's not as concentrated into like a week-long period for men. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not a scientist. But here's my point. I think it's worth calling into question the idea that women are overall more emotional than men. And I want to really pause on this idea because it's been held against women for a long time. This idea that women are too emotional, they're more emotional, they're beyond comprehension and understanding of men. This idea has really been held against women and used against them in very specific ways for a long time. Part of this is because the way that men have been taught to express emotion in our culture is considered more acceptable than the way women tend to express it. But it's only okay when the men do it. For example, an angry woman is often perceived much differently than an angry man, especially if she is a woman of color. And because our society has taught the value of logic over emotion for a very long time, this idea kind of feeds into the ideology that upholds patriarchy. I am certainly not suggesting that emotion should overcome all logic and that we should all wear emotion on the sleeve all the time. That is not what I am saying. However, both emotion and logic are valuable. I think that they can work together. 
I think we could gain information by being logical and using our brains and also by seeing what our emotions have to tell us, what information they can divulge. I want to suggest that emotions are valuable. They are God-designed. They are God-given to both men and women. And I think also that men have been given this message in our culture to suppress emotions or to only express acceptable ones, usually in the range of anger. But they can't cry. Oh no, boys don't cry. These types of ideas, they all feed into patriarchy. And patriarchy hurts all of us, men and women, the whole society. And this brings me into what I mainly want to talk about today, is that women have been long dismissed for displaying emotions. Because emotions have been seen for a long time as in the womanly sphere. And that's so interesting to me because men really do experience emotions, but have been taught to suppress them in a lot of different ways. So then it seems like women have more emotions than men. I don't know that that's true, though. So for centuries, women in our culture have been dismissed for displaying emotion. And really, women of color experience this to a greater extent than I, as a white woman, will ever experience. I want to share one small historical example that I always think of when I think of women and emotions and being dismissed historically. And that is the idea of the hysterical woman. A hysterical woman is one that is so overcome by emotions that she just has no logic and no rationality. She's irrational, incomprehensible, unacceptable, and she certainly cannot be trusted with important tasks such as leadership. No way. She's too emotional. If this seems ridiculous to you, I want to provide a little bit of proof here, a little bit of historical context. And interestingly, this article is coming from Medical News Today, and I just want to read a few excerpts that talk about the medical side of the hysterical woman and how she was treated historically and how she was diagnosed by her doctors. So I'm going to read a few excerpts. Quote, for centuries, doctors readily diagnosed women with hysteria, an alleged mental health condition that explains away any behaviors or symptoms that made men uncomfortable. A fondness of writing, symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder or, or depression, and even infertility for the best part of two centuries. All of these and more could easily fall under the umbrella of female hysteria. Throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, female hysteria was one of the most commonly diagnosed disorders. But the mistaken notion that women are somehow predisposed to mental and behavioral conditions is much older than that. In fact, the term hysteria originated in ancient Greece. Hippocrates and Plato spoke of the womb hysteria, which they said tended to wander around the female body, causing an array of physical and mental conditions. Skipping down, around the 1850s, American physician Silas Wire Mitchell, who had a special interest in hysteria, started promoting the rest cure as a treatment for this condition. 
Rest cure involved lots of bed rest and strict avoidance of all physical and intellectual activity. Mitchell prescribed this treatment preferentially to women who he deemed as having hysteria. By contrast, he would advise men with hysteria to engage in lots of outdoor exercise. Skipping down. Therefore, for a long time, hysteria remained an umbrella term that included numerous and widely different symptoms, reinforcing harmful stereotypes about sex and gender. While this condition is no longer recognized and started to fall out of fashion in the 20th century, this was actually a long and unsteady process. The first Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, known as the DSM-1, of the American Psychiatrics Association, APA, published in 1952, did not list hysteria as a mental health condition, yet it reappeared in the DSM-2 in 19. 19- 68 before the APA dropped it again in the DSM-3 in 1980. 1980, you guys. Time and again, researchers of medical history point to evidence that hysteria was little more than a way to describe and pathologize, quote, everything that men found mysterious or unmanageable in women, end quote. That's all I'm going to share from that article, though it's really good if you want to read the whole thing. So I think there was actually a lot I could say about women's health, especially mental health, not being taken seriously for a long, long time, and actually mental health in general. And I could talk honestly about my own health issues not being taken seriously by male physicians. This really does manifest in so many areas today. But I want this podcast episode to really land with discussing women in the church, so I'm not going to go too far in that direction. I just want to say this, believe women when they say they have a health issue and take it seriously. Because I think in the health field, there can still be to a certain degree, this idea of the hysterical woman and physicians sometimes not believing that women have a very real condition because they might be too emotional or hysterical. But as I said, let's bring this idea of the hysterical woman to the church I would honestly be shocked if a male leader outright told me that I was not qualified to lead because I'm a hysterical woman. That's just not really what we say anymore. And that's not really how it shows up anymore, at least in my context as a privileged white woman. I think few people would say it like that. I think it's usually more subtle, to be honest. And if someone did say that in the workplace, there would probably be legal consequences At least I would hope so. Now, I think that this idea of the hysterical woman, it shows up more subtly. I think it's a word or a few words here and there. I think it's an action here or there. But I think beneath the surface, these ideas still haunt our culture. And it shows up in these little small ways that have a really big impact Because they feel really harmful for the women on the receiving end. In today's language, we usually call these microaggressions. And these microaggressions are fueled by assumptions and ideology rooted in sexism and in stereotypes. I want to take a small, kind of silly example from a TV show. If you watch The Office, you'll probably know this scene. 
it's a Michael Scott joke in an episode of The Office. And Angela says, Angela's one of the co-workers, Michael Scott's the boss. So Angela says, when we get mad, you always ask if we're on our periods. And Michael Scott says, I have to know whether you're serious or not. And there's a similar joke like this in Parks and Rec, where the men on city council are actually keeping a calendar to track Leslie Nope's menstrual cycle so that they can kind of predict how emotional she's going to be. And look, I know these are jokes. I know that they're jokes, they're TV shows. And I actually really love both of these shows. But I think that the writers of these TV shows, they often kind of commented on the harms in our society in funny ways. And I think that these small examples show us that there is still a belief, a widespread belief in our culture, that the hysterical woman is still there, that people still believe she exists and suspect that she exists in the female coworkers, that she exists in the female leaders, that she exists in the female churchgoers. Microaggressions can really look a lot of different ways. And I want to share some examples with you. Microaggressions can look like being told, as I have been, that I am controlling. It can look like being told you need to calm down. Being told your anger is sinful, even when it's directed at injustice. Being told you're intimidating, overdramatic, emotional, crazy. Not being let into rooms that you should be in in the church. Not being told important information you should be privy to because they didn't want to hurt your feelings. Like you're fragile. Like your emotions or being a woman somehow make you less than or weaker or incapable And when we as a culture, American, Christian, evangelical, believe things like women are too emotional, I think it results in women not being taken seriously, in women not being believed, in women being trapped in abusive systems that protect and favor men, in women not being considered for leadership roles, and perhaps in women being taught they're made for a distinct but different role than men. Don't worry, they're still equal. Just created differently. Just created with female qualities that aren't meant for the leadership role. God just didn't design them that way. They bring value, don't worry, just a different value. A quieter, gentler value. Maybe you've experienced this and maybe you haven't. Maybe you agree with this and maybe you don't. But I would challenge you to just think about it. Does this idea connect to the church's, in my opinion, obsession with gender roles? With saying that women are one way and men are another and God designed them exactly like that. And women bring emotion and men bring logic. Never mind that some women favor logic and some men favor emotions. No, we have to lump everyone into one big category and use it as a justification for separate gender roles. Now, I know I got a little sassy there 
It's something that I care about and something that I want you to consider. But I have one final thought to close us out here. Coming back to the idea of emotions. Emotions were created by God. And we are image bearers of God. We are created in his image. God has emotions too. Emotions can be useful. Next episode, we're going to dig into how they can be informative. And men and women both have them. There are tons of examples in the Bible of men and women both having emotions. And honestly, who is our ultimate example of this? Jesus. A man. God in the flesh. I want to share an example from the Bible. When Lazarus had died, Jesus went to raise him from the dead. Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. And Jesus loved Lazarus and he loved his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, they were grieving. Jesus saw the dead body of Lazarus, who he loved. And in John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible, it tells us Jesus wept. Friends, he cried. He felt emotions. He experienced sadness and grief. Another example of this is Jesus had really strong emotions also towards the people who were defiling the temple by exchanging money in John chapter 2. The text says, starting in verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Man, that's some kind of emotion right there. Zeal? Zeal, that's a strong emotion. And he had that. And he was getting rid of the people who were turning his father's house, the temple, into a marketplace. Who were selling the animals that people needed for sacrifices. Jesus also showed great compassion on so many people. He showed great mercy. He healed people. He loved people. He spent time with people who were poor and who were injured and who were rejected and outcast by society and with sinners and with prostitutes and tax collectors and with all of these people who weren't considered people that he was supposed to hang out with as a teacher. But he wanted to have so much compassion and love on these people. He healed them. He gave them forgiveness. He showed them the way to himself, the way to everlasting life, the, di- the way into a right relationship with God. He showed them such great compassion and mercy. And another example, Jesus showed us great emotion in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26. This is the night before he was going to the cross. And of course, Jesus knew what was going to happen. And starting in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. 
And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And of course, they end up falling asleep. But this emotion here of deep sorrow, of being troubled. Later, he's betrayed by his own disciples. He's abandoned. He's rejected. This is Jesus. God in the flesh experienced deep emotions. Emotions are important. They're okay to acknowledge and to experience. Am I saying that my emotions should control me? No. We'll talk more about that next week. I'm not saying emotions better than logic or anything weird like that. I think both of them can work in conjunction with each other. Both of them are valuable. But also Jesus experienced emotions. There is nothing less than about you if you have them. You bear the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 tells us, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In his own image. And we bear his image. We bear things that reflect him. I want to end by having a couple of applications. What can we do? What are some next steps? What do we do with this information? I think the first thing that we can do is speak truth to power. Calling out microaggressions when we see them. If they're directed at us, we might be too overwhelmed in the moment to respond. That's okay. That's something that I've experienced several times. When the microaggression happens, sometimes something is triggered for us that causes an emotional response based on something in our past. And that can overwhelm us and make it hard to respond in the moment. 100% I get it. I would encourage us to experience the emotion, to name it, to pray about it. And then maybe later as a suggestion, if the microaggression happened in the workplace, go to your HR rep later, especially if you work in the church. It needs to be documented. There needs to be documentation of this. And I know that it's hard. I think of this as a way to support the other women who are also working in the church, experiencing microaggressions. If there's not documentation, if there's not a confronting of the ill, if there's not a way to speak truth to the power, and if you have a great relationship with the person who did who did the microaggression, maybe you talk directly to them, whatever works for you. If that's safe for you, that's great. But find a way to make sure it's addressed if you can. And you can find, hopefully, support with other women if you can. Maybe other women who are also in ministry in your church. I think the second thing we can do is pray for change. Pray that discrimination against women would come to an end in all of its facets, in all of its forms. We can look to God for the steps that we can specifically take to help this process, whatever our local context is. What can we do where we're at? I think we can also spend time with God processing our own emotions. We can read parts of the Bible that have raw human emotion like the Psalms and see that this is part of how humans are. 
This is a quality of human beings. And a special message for white women. Stand by your sisters of color. Use Google to educate yourself on what microaggressions against women of color look like. Don't burden your sisters of color with your questions unless you have their permission first. This might lead to an emotional burden for the person you ask. So be sensitive. Support your sisters in the way that they want you to. Not in the way that you want to. I would also encourage all of us to see a counseling professional if we need help processing our emotions. You don't have to have a specific mental illness to seek counseling. I think that counseling is becoming more and more normalized. Therapy is becoming more and more normalized in our society, which is great. I know that has helped me tremendously in lots of areas of my life. And it really teaches us skill sets that are important. How to process our emotions. How to identify them. Have awareness around them. How to process trauma from our childhoods. The last thing that I thought of is that I hope we can shift our mindset. I hope we can think of emotions as a gift from God. Not as something evil or something to suppress or something that makes us weak. Something God-given. A blessing. A gift but more on that next week. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much that you've given us emotions. Thank you that men and women are created in your image, that you love them, that you lavish your gifts and blessings upon us. Thank you that we can come to you in all of our raw emotion. Thank you that you are a great counselor, the one who wants to listen to us, the one who exchanges our heavy burdens for your light one, the one who sees us fully, completely, and loves us every moment. God, please challenge us to take next steps in the areas that you want us to take, even if that's something small, even if that's just awareness of the microaggressions around us or directed at us even if that's just starting to see our emotions as a gift. Or maybe it's something more challenging that you want us to do, like speaking out and being bold, standing up for our sisters in Christ, bringing an end to the ills and the evils of patriarchy. I pray in Jesus' name that patriarchy would come to an end in our society and in all societies and cultures on the earth. Bring it down, Lord. Only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.